All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour today. Uh, they are American Manganese, Barkerville Gold Mines, Crocodile Gold Corp., Intertopia Corporation, Go West Limited, Smash Minerals Corporation, and Trevally Mining Corporation. Well, I'm really uh, happy to have back with me again Jeff Berwick. Uh, he founded StockHouse.com. Uh, that's Canada's largest financial website, uh, and he did that in 1994. He was the CEO uh, and on the board of directors up until 2006. He is now the founder uh, and chief editor of the Dollar Vigilante. It's a it's an excellent publication. I uh, read it every day and, and recommend it highly. The Dollar Vigilante is a definitely a free market financial newsletter focused on covering all aspects of ongoing financial collapse, with information and analysis on the investments for safety and for profit during the collapse, including the investments in gold, silver, energy, agricultural commodities, and publicly traded stocks. Jeff's newsletter covers, as well, other aspects, including expatriation, uh, both financially and physically, and the news uh, and info on health, safety, and other ways to survive the coming collapse of the dollar and safely and comfortably doing it that way. Learn more. You should learn more uh, to keep up with Jeff and and uh, con- and get this get his publications. You should go to dollarvigilante.com. Welcome, Jeff. It's really good to have you back. With Hi, us Jay. It's great today. to be back. Really good. Now you've been traveling around. I know you were in uh, you were in Florida. I think you met up with with Doug Casey and his crowd down there. And now you're uh, going to be speaking at another conference. Is that for the Cambridge House folks? Yes, uh, they're having their uh, Saskatchewan Resource Conference this weekend, and then right after that, I'm heading straight to New York for the New York Card Assets Conference. Oh well, I'll be happy to see you there because I will be speaking there as well, and we're going to be talking to Ted Ohashi a little bit in the last minutes of this uh, show today about the New York uh, show as well. Well, it'd be good to see you there. Uh, it would be nice if we're on a panel discussion again. That's where I first met up with you uh, a few months back in Vancouver, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, you know, we're we're looking at. Uh, some really, really strange things going on, uh, as our prior guest was talking about, uh, un- unprecedented events and economic chaos and a decline of the dollar. We're seeing the dollar get close to its all-time lows. And this is occurring in no small part because of Mr. Bernanke's creation of endless amounts of dollars out of thin air. So we've had QE2. It's scheduled to come to an end, I think, very shortly, if it hasn't already. 
what do you think we're going to? What's going to happen when QE2 comes to an end? Well, I don't think it's going to come to an end. I think it may come to an end for a few weeks until the whole stock market starts to collapse and uh, a whole bunch of other bad things start to happen. And uh, right away, they'll jump back in with QE3. And uh, like Mark Faber says, it'll keep going to QE26. There's, yeah. We're actually past the point of no return. It's actually just a really... Just everything's fake now. It's a completely fake market. They're just buying whatever they can with fake Federal Reserve notes, which are a fake fiat currency. Uh, you know, we're living in complete Disneyland economics right now, and uh, there's there's just no chance. There's no way that they they stop QE here because the U.S. government's bankrupt, and there's only one way that you can keep this charade going to keep people like Obama and all those sort of people as being the president is, is to, to keep printing money, because if they stop, there's no way for them to pay any of this, uh, these deficits, for sure. We have $1 trillion-plus deficits. If you look at the last six, uh, ever since QET was announced in, in August 2010, if you look at the amount of treasuries that were bought by each party, China has only bought $17 billion in treasuries since then. Japan, $57 billion, and we probably won't see them buying much more because of what happened with the earthquake and the tsunami. The UK bought $114 billion. That's probably oil exporters and maybe even Japan because they'll buy through London. And the oil exporters just bought $7 billion. Well, during that time period, the Federal Reserve bought $422 billion. Mm. That's four times more than the rest of them all combined. And so if they stop buying there's still huge deficits that need to be funded. Uh, so there's no way, immediately if you stopped, uh, interest rates would spike, and not just by 0.25 percentage, mm-hmm. by 3, 4, 5, 6 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and immediately the stock market would c- completely collapse. It would go down 2,000 points in one day. And what would that cause? That would cause another financial crisis, just like 2008. And what would be the solution? Well, there's only one solution nowadays, print more money. Well, of course, I would make two. Uh, I would make two points with respect to what you said. First of all, ultimately, won't the current policies, if we go out to QE26, as Mark Faber suggests, will that not ultimately end in hyperinflation at some point in time? And if that's the case, then won't that bring the system down? Yes, totally. Uh, I, I don't think we'll get to QE26. I just brought that up because I thought that was funny yeah. that Mark Faber said that. Mm-hmm. I think we're in the final months and just maybe a couple of years before we reach the end of the U.S. government or the Federal Reserve or the dollar, one or the other, all depending on which path they choose. Uh, but it, there's no way it can last much more than a few more years now. Uh, we're, we're, I actually said this before a few years ago. I said once the Federal Reserve becomes the biggest buyer of Treasury debt, the game's over. Mm-hmm. Well, that started six months ago, so we're really in the in the very final months of this right now. And uh, so, yes, there's two options, and as you know, and and they can either default, and which will cause massive uh, problems for a lot of people in the U.S. Who uh, more than 50 percent of the people in the U.S. now are dependent on the U.S. government uh, for their uh, life livelihood, whether it's through uh, Social Security or through uh, food stamps. There's half a million people going on food stamps every month right now. So if the U.S. government defaults, that will basically bring to an end the the whole U.S. government structure, which will cause a lot of problems for a lot of people in the U.S. 
But that's actually the best solution. So there is no good solutions here. There's only two ways out because we've gotten to this point because because everyone has allowed this to happen to this point. And so the one is the U.S. government defaults, and the other one is they hyperinflate. And the only reason that I have, if I had to wager, I'd say hyperinflation is because that's the easier way for the politicians. Because either uh, Barack Obama has to walk up to the podium all proudly like he did a couple days ago and say the U.S. government is broke and they can't pay Social Security anymore and Medicaid and uh, food stamps, or he doesn't do that and they just keep printing money, printing money, which they can always blame on someone else because not very many people understand how inflation and hyperinflation works. And so that's always the best solution for politicians because they can blame it on someone else. They can say, oh, well, it's China or it's greedy corporations. And, yeah. and that's, that's basically what governments and politicians have been doing for hundreds of years. And that's what's caused every hyperinflation is that they just keep doing this because it's the most politically convenient way out of bankruptcy. Right. It's, uh, it's, uh, it behooves programs like this, of course, and uh, to help people understand what's really going on. It's, it's not that complicated, but it's really sad that in the, uh, in the colleges and universities there's no concept that uh, additional money creation leads to higher prices. I mean, I guess you should almost understand that without having to be told it, but, uh, it, but that's, uh, the ignorance is just amazing uh, with respect to these sort of basic economic issues. Well, what do you see then, uh, Jeff? How does this play out? I mean, you, you uh, I guess, currently live in Mexico. You, uh, I think you're a Canadian citizen, probably, um, and you can maybe travel around and go to different places. But how do you, uh, in order to protect yourself if, if things really get nasty in, in, in any given place, but do you see this turning out into something, that, you know, civil unrest and, and difficulties, government uh, cracking down on our on our liberties uh, continuing to get, become worse over time unfortunately i do i, I believe uh, one of the most dangerous places to be for the next year or two unfortunately is the u.s uh, just for this reason um, every single hyperinflation has always gone the same route um, the the it basically gets worse and worse and worse to the point where there is civil unrest. And the U.S. also has such a big uh, military. And, uh, you know, Barack Obama has said things like he wants to make a homeland security force just as strong as the military. We, mm. It's just incredible that, you know, these are all the same things that the Nazis did, uh, you know, back in, in the 1940s and 30s. Right. And it's basically all just following the same path. It's unbelievable that people don't see this. But I actually see it as a symptom of, of uh, the government public education system. And you, you've made a good point about how they're not even treated, uh, what they're teaching in the universities, uh, at even very high, supposedly high-level universities like Yale and Harvard and their economics department is complete fantasy. And that is a big part of the problem is not many people really understand what's going on. And, but I do actually have quite a bit of hope. I'm very hopeful that it's not going to be too bad. And the reason is because of the Internet. And I think the more that people like yourself can get this word out and wake people up, the, the more people who won't be completely shocked as this happens over the next few years and who have prepared and maybe they've, they've stored some food. And I'm not a, I don't have a, a nuclear bomb shelter or anything, and I'm not a chicken little, and I don't like any of this stuff that's going on, but it's just facts of what are going on. And, and to be prepared is just to be smart right now. 
and it's uh, you know it's more important right now to be safe than to be looking for a big investment gain because uh, you know usually in these sort of a real collapses the person who loses the least is the winner yeah, it could, that's a good point, and it's one that we probably don't think about enough. So how do you be safe? Now, as I, as I was just uh, saying, you live in Mexico. You, uh, you're Canadian. You uh, visited recently uh, Doug Casey's project down there at Café Jate, as did I. What are your thoughts? We're, uh, with people that have the means and the ability to perhaps have some property outside of the United States, where might they go? There's many areas I really like. The two main areas that I, I'm really positive and bullish on is Latin America, South America, and Asia. And, of course, not every single country in those places, but those are the two main regions. And if you actually look at a lot of the people that are in this industry that, that I look up to, like Doug Casey, Mark Faber, Jim Rogers. Doug Casey lives in Uruguay and Argentina. Jim Rogers lives in Singapore. Uh, Mark Faber lives in Thailand and Hong Kong. Uh, so they're, they're all in Asia and in, in Latin America. And, and more and more, I just heard on the radio the other day, Jesse Ventura, who just put out a great new book. Um, and he was actually being interviewed from his place in Mexico. And I know many other uh, people in our industry who are writing about this sort of thing who also live in Mexico. I'm actually not super bullish on Mexico because it's so close to the U.S. And who knows, the U.S. government could uh, try to divert attention and attack Mexico saying there's a big drug war caused by the U.S. war on drugs, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that's how it works. They basically cause the, own, the problems, and then they go in and provide a solution. And so I'm, I'm in the most southern part of Mexico is where I live. I live in Acapulco, which has been in the news lately for drug violence, but it's, it's nowhere near as bad as they say. Not many people know Acapulco is a really big city, and about half of it's on one side of a mountain range and the other's on the other half. Well, there's one good side and one not so good side. I'm on the, I'm on the good side, obviously. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, for people who, who have the ability to uh, look at other places to possibly live for a few years, it's not a bad idea at all. And a few of my favorite, I was just down in Argentina, which I really like, and I really like Paraguay as well down there. Mm -hmm. and, and they're both very cheap. Paraguay's even cheaper than Argentina, if you can believe it. Mm -hmm. uh, and the funny thing about Argentina is their currency collapses about every 10 years from hyperinflation, and they're mm -hmm. going through another one right now. Mm -hmm. So it just shows how they never really learn these governments. And, uh, but it also, sh it also says something, because uh, down there, when the Argentine peso collapses, people will just shrug their so shoulders and say, oh, this happened again, whatever. They're all prepared for it. They all know how to, how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But the people of the U.S. haven't had to deal with this for a long time. It's been outside of anyone's anyone's memory and uh, so that's why it's going to be probably a lot worse in the US than it is in a lot of other countries and the, the other reason is this is going to be worse than any of the other hyperinflations is when Zimbabwe or Argentina have their hyperinflation everyone buys dollars now that the dollar is going to be the one hyperinflating what are people going to buy and there is no other safe currency so really the only uh, answer is things like gold which aren't that easy for most people on the street to just buy so it's oh. going to be very interesting times for sure. That's for sure. And uh, you uh, have indicated that you're not as bullish on the Canadian dollar as a lot of people are, you know, at least. Uh, can you tell us why? Yeah, I just wrote about this in our newsletter last month. And the reason I wrote about it is I kept hearing Americans say that they're uh, buying Canadian dollars to escape the possible collapse of the U.S. dollar. And uh, I wanted to warn them because 
yes, the Canadian dollar has gone up vis-a-vis the U.S. dollar in the last few years because of what Ben Bernanke is doing. But not many people know the Canadian dollar is almost 100% backed by the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. And besides that, the Canadian economy, economy is incredibly tied to the U.S. economy. It, the U.S. is a bigger trading partner by a factor of 10 over every, all other countries in the world for Canada. So wow. if the U.S. begins to have problems, Canada is definitely going to have problems, and that will definitely uh, affect the Canadian dollar. As well, the Canadian government's also intent on always devaluing the Canadian dollar to, to make it competitive for exports to the U.S. Mm-hmm. So very rarely do they let it go above parity. And it's above parity right now, but you, it wouldn't be surprising at all to see them bring it down. Mm-hmm. And not that many people know this as well. Canada is, has barely any gold at all. They are the 78th largest holder of gold in the world. Mm-hmm. Countries like Bolivia, Bangladesh, Cambodia, Macedonia, they all have more gold than Canada. Can- Canada has 3.4 tons of gold. They sold all their gold in the 1980s, like uh, England did. Yes. And uh, so there's nothing back in the Canadian dollar but the U.S. dollar. So if the U.S. dollar does collapse, uh, the Canadian dollar, there's no chance that it's going to uh, continue on uh, for many other reasons as well. One other reason is it's not a globally used currency. You can't use the Canadian dollar anywhere south of about 10 miles uh, north of the northern border of the U.S., mm-hmm. um, so try to go use your Canadian dollars in, in, in Shanghai and try to buy something and see what happens. It's not a real global currency at all. So once the U.S., if the U.S. dollar collapses, which is almost a near certainty at this point, the Canadian dollar will also collapse, in my opinion. So I wouldn't no. be looking at other currencies as a way to escape the collapse of the U.S. dollar. Right. Uh, we're probably going to have a, a realignment and some sort of new currency regime in the not-too-distant future. There's been some talk about having, uh, even even on the part of, uh, I guess it was the World Bank official or IMF official, I guess it was not that long ago, that talked about a basket of currencies that would include gold, and we've had Timothy Geithner even talking about uh, possibly uh, adopting the Chinese uh, notion of having SDRs and various currencies. Of course, I suppose the policymakers will try to get away from gold uh, as long as they can. Uh, some of the remarks you were just making about the dollar, uh, the Canadian dollar not having much gold behind it, that raises a very interesting question, how much gold is behind the U.S. dollar, and of course the gold antitrust action people have been saying for a long time, maybe not a, we don't know because there's not been a uh, an audit for a long time, and of course not since the Eisenhower years, in fact, and uh, and of course, we've done a lot of swaps and uh, and uh, leasing of gold out. So who knows for sure? Uh, I guess there's every reason in the world, though, to to not trust everything you hear in the mainstream and why you need to listen to shows like this. And by the way, folks, you need to listen to uh, what Jeff Berwick has to say. Jeff, we are basically out of time here. Can you tell our listeners where they can uh, again where they can avail themselves to your service? Certainly, it's just dollarvigilante.com. That's V-I-G-I-L-A-N-T-E.com. And if you go right on our front page, there's a little yellow box. You just put your email, and we'll send you our free blog posts every day. And if you like it, we have a subscription newsletter. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being with me again. And Thank I look you, forward Jay. to seeing you, uh, seeing you in New York here in, in another week, I guess. It's just a week from uh, Monday and Tuesday of next week. So uh, I look forward to seeing you, and thanks again for being with us. Folks, don't go away. We're going to have Peter Boytosh. Uh, he is the president and CEO of Fisher Watt. This is a company that has some very, very interesting uh, uranium properties, and, uh, and the stock is selling at $0.04. Cents. Yes, I think there's something that doesn't meet the eye here. We need to talk to Peter. He'll be right back after the break, so don't go away. 
the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Enertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Enertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CN. SX Exchange. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top 10 gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me Peter Boytosh. Uh, he is the president and CEO of Fisher Watt. Uh, Fisher Watt trades in the United States uh, under the symbol FWGO. It only trades in the U.S., it does not trade in Canada. There's 79.9 million shares outstanding. It's got a float of about 37 million. 
uh, shares. Uh, so about 41% of the shares are held by insiders. And the stock is extremely cheap. Um, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Peter tells me that it was uh, earlier today it was trading at 4.4 cents, but it got clobbered at the last minute. We see this happening a lot of times. I can tell you as an observer of the uh, the unregulated or relatively lightly regulated market in the U.S. that we frequently see small trades at the very end of the day uh, that drive the share price down. And Peter tells me today the shares traded down to 3.5 cents. It was at 4.4 cents when I checked Fisher Watch shares earlier today. Uh, but we'll get into this. And most importantly, what I like to do when I look at companies is look at the fundamentals of the company. Ultimately, if you can raise the capital you need, uh, the fundamentals will take care of themselves. Uh, welcome, Peter, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks, Jay. Nice to be here. Really good to have you. Uh, and Fisher Watt is a name that goes back quite a while. It was a gold uh, exploration company. of uh, It's a pretty successful one many uh, years ago, as I recall. Uh, but right now, at three and a half cents, it's, it's hard for me to understand. Uh, look, before we get to your properties and try to give our listeners some sense of the fundamental or the potential, the uh, exploration potential those properties have. Yeah, could we just maybe get your opinion on the nuclear industry, given uh, the, Jap the Japanese tragedy? What's your prognosis for the, uh, for the nuclear power industry going forward? Well, Jay, I feel very upbeat about the future, uh, the continuing future of the nuclear industry. Uh, but it won't be here in the States. Obviously, it'll be in Asia primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's about 440 nuclear reactors working at the moment, of which a quarter of them, about 104 of them, are operating in the States. But unfortunately, the ones in the States are mostly of the kind of Generation 1 type of nuclear reactors that were built in the, uh, in the 70s and 80s uh, before Three Mile Island really curtailed people's enthusiasm for it. Meanwhile, technology has been advancing, and uh, the Japanese and Koreans especially have really put uh, some better, far better designs into uh, their nuclear reactors, and those are the kind that are being built. Unfortunately, this uh, Fukushima disaster that we had, that was one of the Generation 1 reactors, uh, not as... Well, put it this way, there's a lot more fail-safe devices on the newer reactors, um, and they tend not to be built right on the ocean side either nowadays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. Uh, so we have mostly Generation 1 reactors in the U.S. That would make them potentially more vulnerable or more problematic. And these reactors, over time, they do run out of time, don't they? I mean, what is the life uh, expectancy of these reactors, of the well, Generation 1 reactors? Mm -hmm. Most of them were designed and licensed for a 40-year life. And there's a number of technical reasons for that and a number of just plain old human reasons. You don't want to license something forever because you don't know what might happen. But uh, one of the things is concrete actually degrades, especially when it's, uh, uh, there's radioactivity around it. It just doesn't stay as good solid concrete forever. Now, the idea is not to get radiation into the outside concrete, but you have to be careful about these things. Nothing lasts forever. Yeah. Um, now, most of these, with observation at the 30-year period, the licensing authorities tend to increase that and say, okay, you can have another 20 years' life, making it 60. And some of these reactors are now in that period of time. So they are coming slowly to the end of their lives. Mm -hmm. 
Well, what's going to happen in the in the U.S. if these reactors are no longer? I mean, if they run past their commission or their license time, are they going to have to take them out of? Or do you think they'll make some exceptions, politicians being what politicians are, and let them continue to run until we have a, a disaster? What do you What do you think? Is well, I, I don't have a crystal ball on this, but I think the answer is somewhere in between. There'll be some reactors that were detailed testing, the regulatory agencies will say, well, this looks okay. We can go along with this and extend the life of it. And there'll be some where the reactor vessel is maybe getting starting to get compromised or the concrete work is starting to get compromised and they're just going to say, no, it's going to have to close down. There are a number of new uh, reactors in the States on the drawing boards, but uh, they're not being built. Uh, at the moment, I think there's only one directly under construction down in Georgia. Um, with another one that uh, is planned, but they haven't uh, uh, got going on that yet. Right. Well, no, the future Obama... really lies in China, uh, India, and to some extent in Japan and Korea. Mm-hmm. Well, President Obama came out, I think, right after the Japanese tragedy and said that the U.S. was continued would continue to be committed to nuclear power. However, as we were talking to the guests on this show before you, uh, you know, we were talking about the uh, the economic ills in the United States and the lack of capital and the inability to finance things. You're seeing wealth shift to to China and to other countries. Uh, the BRIC countries are doing well relative to the U.S. and and capital and wealth is flowing there. So you know you you got to think even if there's a political will, if there's not the capital and the wealth to build these things because they're very 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 expensive. What does it cost to put up a nuclear power plant these days in the United States? In the United States, it? it's coming to about $10 billion for a decent-sized nuclear plant. $10 billion. And can the economics work? Um, that I'm not sure about. The power yeah. utilities seem to think so. I would say that most of the time it would work if there's a large requirement for that power, industrial yeah. requirement. Mm-hmm. These are big base loads. Mm-hmm. Um, Sure, you can run houses off solar energy and uh, wind turbines and things like that, but you can't do that for large smelting complexes and other industrial complexes. But if America is dismantling its industrial base, which yeah. it's done a pretty good job of so far, yes, yes, why do you need these massive drawdowns of power? Yes, very interesting question. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your properties. You have properties, uranium properties, exploration properties in South Dakota, Arizona, and Wyoming, but your main focus is Wyoming which is one of the more, I guess there's production coming out of Wyoming now of, of uh, uranium. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your Cyclone Ridge, is it? the Cyclone, Cyclone Rim. Rim property? Mm-hmm. Yes. Can you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that? Do you have a resource there? What, what is the story of Cyclone Rim? Okay, well, first of all, uh, let me just say, most of the uranium production in the U.S. is in the Wyoming region, about 4 million pounds of uranium a year, although that does include one operation in Nebraska just over the state line. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of it is from uh, in the Powder River Basin where Cameco Riva have uh, uh, in-situ leach operations. Now, just recently, uh, down in Texas in the Goliad area, there's another leacher has come on board. Mm-hmm. And then there's some uranium production uh, I should include that in the four million pounds uh, out in uh, in Utah, mm-hmm. in uh, south uh, southeast Utah. Uh, but uh, the uranium in um, in Wyoming is quite a low grade uranium, 
And the unique thing is it's sitting in these waterlogged uh, sandstone horizons below the aquifer, uh, in the, below the water table in the aquifers. Mm-hmm. And even though they're low grade, uh, we've dis- over the years, uh, a recovery method called in-situ leaching has been devised mm-hmm. where the operator injects oxygenated water into the aquifer, which this oxygenated water dissolves the uranium, and then there's recovery wells pulling it back up, and then the uranium is extracted from that leachate. Mm-hmm. It's a very cheap way of doing of recovering uranium. It's quite a benign, environment, environmentally benign way of doing things. And uh, it, it means that we can recover quite low-grade quantities of uranium. Mm-hmm. So that's what we have in Wyoming in general. Specifically in the Cyclone Rim, there these these deposits that are amenable to this in-situ leaching are found in a geological style known as a roll front. And these roll fronts are long, sinuous trends of uranium deposition in the uh, geological horizons. And there's way over 200 miles of these trends, or these roll fronts, in the Cyclone Rim Red Desert area of central Nevada, of central Wyoming, rather. Mm-hmm. And uh, of that, say that 200 miles, there are a number of people such as uh, UR Energy, who have got the Lost Creek Project, and they have, say, about uh, 10 or 11 million pounds of uranium along a piece of this roll front of about four miles long. Mm-hmm. In contrast, we have about 28 miles of the roll front. Mm. And our independent geologists, although you can't call it a resource in the Canadian style, and certainly under Guideline 7 in the U.S., there is no such thing as a resource, uh, we believe through our independent uh, geologists that we have the potential for between 10 to 40 million pounds of uranium on our property in Cyclone Rim. Wow. So that's a pretty good resource to have. Or well, I guess the potential for a resource. Right. Uh, that is the word. The operative word is potential. So you uh, you need to do some work to, to yes, try well, to turn potential into reality. What are you doing in terms of exploration? And I guess you're going to need to raise some money first. Absolutely. We have about 82 holes in the west end of our 28-mile trend, which gives us all the encouragement that we are on the trend and that we do have uranium in the selected selected horizons. Mm-hmm. So we're not just working blind here, but mm-hmm. the holes are about 400 feet apart on the grid that we've done. Mm-hmm. And to get a resource and then uh, be able to do your feasibilities, you need to be at, at least 50 foot apart. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of infill drilling to be done before we can come up with uh, reliable confidence levels. Mm-hmm. So there's a few million dollars worth of drilling to be done just in one area alone, but then, we, as I say, we have 28 miles to test as well, <laughs> and yeah. we won't be able to do that right at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so we have to, I believe, you know, uh, probably about $5 million, $6 million would be enough to bring us up to demonstrating that we've got, say, 5 million pounds of uranium and ready to do some studies so we can apply for permitting and uh, eventually start an in-situ leach. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly sounds like uh, for a stock that's trading, uh, was quoted, I don't want to say trading because of, of a very small number of shares when it took it down to three and a half cents. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, you're going to be raising some money. There might be some opportunities for private placements, or how are you going to finance this? Well, that's exactly it. Um, I am working on trying to get the stock up a little bit so we're not overly diluted with yeah. our uh, um, payments or with yeah. our uh, placements. Yeah. 
But uh, private placements are, uh, we've done some in the past and we'll continue to do them. But I'm also talking with other people who might want to uh, uh, joint venture on some of our other outlying properties and that might bring in a little bit of money to the company mm-hmm. so we can get started. Get started. Very mm-hmm. good. Yes. Well, we wish you the best. It seems uh, you've got something really good going here, uh, Peter, if you can get financed and uh, perhaps we uh, we give this story out to her. I mean, when you're selling at such a low price, I must say, and you've got really solid people in your company, starting with yourself, it seems to me uh, a pity uh, that the market is, is pricing where it is. But uh, I guess the market is the market. We hope it's a free market. And uh, hopefully in time you're going to get the money you need to drill this out and, and prove that you have something there. I'm sure we will. Very good, Peter. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back. I'm going to be with Ted Ohashi, my friend and colleague uh, at Investment Pitch. Ted will be here to talk a little bit about the markets, um, the, um, the, probably a little bit about the silver and gold markets in this uh, pretty tough day today for those markets. But we'll be right back with Ted Ohashi, so don't go away. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000 ton per day mill, developed underground ramp, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. You're listening.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me my friend and colleague, Ted Ohashi, uh, who's with, uh, uh, with InvestmentPitch.com. Um, Ted, what do you think uh, is going on with the gold and silver markets? They got smashed today. Gold, last quote I saw, was down to 1537 Of course, who's to complain? $1,537 the ounce. Uh, silver was taken down big to 4155 was the last quote I saw. Uh, is this just a normal correction, do you think, Ted, or what's going on? Well, I, I think it was probably triggered by a couple of things. One, uh, probably both the gold and silver markets were due for a bit of a correction. Um, and then also, of course, uh, the situation with Osama bin Laden, I think um, it gave uh, everyone a little bit of a sense of euphoria about the U.S., the U.S. dollar, the U.S., everything. And uh, uh, so the uh, currency strengthened, and, and that's probably... Uh, uh, another uh, reason that uh, gold and silver backed off a bit. Uh, but I, I would think that uh, gold and silver are still um, medium to long term in uptrends. Um, I think the, uh, the events of the weekend with uh, bin Laden um, strengthen uh, President Obama's chances to be reelected, and I don't think uh, the markets will like that very much. So yeah. I think uh, gold and silver still remains quite positive. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, and the the action of the Federal Reserve as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but now, Ted, uh, we've only got a couple of minutes here. They're telling me uh, you had a couple of stocks you wanted to mention that are clients of Investment Pitch. Could you just tell our listeners who they are? Sure. Uh, I was going to uh, mention uh, uh, Columbus Gold uh, and Douglas Lake Minerals, uh, both of whom were at the Chicago show, um, and both of whom will have their presentations uh, posted on their website and. Uh, and investmentpitch.com's website. Uh, so if you want information on them, uh, just uh, go to the sites and, and look them up, and you'll get the whole thing. Okay, could you give us just a little bit of information about sure. uh, well, they're, they're Columbus both Gold and properties where? Yep, Columbus Gold is in French Guiana, um, and, uh, and they have a uh, 43101 compliant uh, 1.9 million ounces of inferred resource, uh, and they have an option to acquire 100% of that. Um, this part of French Guiana has, has a long history of, uh, of producing um, alluvial and colluvial gold, um, and it's been estimated that a couple of million ounces have been taken from there. Uh, mm-hmm. They also have uh, properties in Nevada, which uh, they have 22, and 12 of them have been JV to other exploration companies. So, uh, so that's a good thing. So I, I think there's lots of good things going on for Columbus Gold. Mm-hmm. What's um, the market in the cap, case, or, Ted, would you know what the market cap is, more or less? Um, with Columbus Gold, I do not. It's about, I'm sorry. Uh, I, yeah. Okay. Well, people can look it up. How you know yep. roughly what price it's trading at? I don't know that okay. either. I, all right. I, I um, didn't get all right. What's What's the other company, Ted? Uh, it's uh, Douglas Lake, uh, which is uh, also a gold company. Uh, they're in Tanzania, in East Africa. Uh, Tanzania, of course, is uh, Africa's third largest gold producer after South Africa and Ghana. 
so they they are uh, in an exploration mode, um, and uh, and they have some uh, uh, very large uh, holdings in uh, what's called the Magambazi uh, trend, uh, which is a gold trend uh, featured by uh, companies like Anglo Gold, who have a 23 million ounce deposit there, and Barrick uh, that has a 19 million ounce deposit there. So. Uh, so they're in a uh, good position. Um, and they've also joint ventured uh, a property out to um, Ruby Creek, uh, for which uh, they'll get a 25% royalty from the production. So, uh, And also this company, Douglas Lake, uh, just completed a $12 million financing. So um, good properties, um, good uh, joint ventures that they're involved in, and uh, uh, $12 million in the bank. So good things ahead. Well, that can be very important, Ted, if we're coming on a, on a weak period uh, for the junior sector, which we could have. There's no doubt about it. Nothing goes up in a straight line. So those are a couple of companies. And, again, investmentpitch.com, which Ted and I both serve as on the advisory board of, uh, we're not compensated, but we are believers in the technology and uh, in one way or another work with uh, investment pitch uh, to do our own our own business uh, Ted any any closing thoughts uh, on the, uh, on the no market? I look forward to seeing in next week at the uh, hard asset show in New York yeah um, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, uh, tape one of your presentations when we're there I think you're making two or three of them aren't you Yes, I am. I'm on a panel discussion at the end, a bull and bear discussion. I have a workshop, and I will also be doing a 15-minute, uh, f- uh, f- my 15 minutes of fame on the on the big stage there too, as well. So oh, I really uh, we'll look forward to seeing you and and Tara and some of the other people from up there, and uh, uh, it should be a good time. That's really all the time we have now, Ted. So uh, hope you'll come back with us next week. Possibly let me tell you folks that next week we're going to have a Richard Mayberry as our special guest. Uh, he's one of the most knowledgeable experts I think there are on Islamic politics, uh, the politics of the Mid- Middle East. Now Richard won't be featured on CNBC or MSNBC or other mainstream channels because he is going to tell you what is really going on geopolitically in the Middle East and not what you're going to hear is going on by the American propaganda machine. So Richard Mayberry will be with us. I, I expect that Richard will take up the, uh, the uh, probably about an hour of time because he always has so much to say. So I hope you'll join me next week. Also, want to thank our staff uh, for that have the people that have made this show uh, really viable, um, mechanically viable. We have uh, Tacy Trump, who's my uh, producer, uh, Ruben Colomb, who's the operations manager, and Justin Jackman. Uh, who is my, I like to call him my crackerjack engineer, a young man that I met up in Phoenix just a couple of, couple of days ago, uh, a week ago or so, uh, and doing, those folks doing a great job down at Voice, uh, Voice America uh, Business Channel. So that's all for now. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. again for listening to turning hard times into good times with jay taylor please join us again next tuesday at noon pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america business channel now the thing about time is that time is in-